My, my greatest skill in life for me that could generate the highest amount of revenue is that I am a licensed architect and I know construction. Yeah. And so I looked at, okay, if I could find a way to leverage the, 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 the capital I have and use my experience to generate um, profit from those, that's when I looked at, okay, I can establish businesses that generate monthly income for me. Welcome, friends. You are listening to Blue Collar Money, Theories of Middle Class Investing with your hosts, P.W. Gopal and Mike Hatch. Welcome back to Blue Collar Money, where we are helping everyday folks get financially unstuck. My name is Mike Hatch, and again, once again, as usual, I'm here with P.W. Gopal, my faithful partner in crime and cohort. Um, I, I, I don't want to say P.W., I, I hesitate to say like sidekick, because you're not like, that makes you sound lesser than me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not Batman and you Robin. I'm not... You know, you we're we're so it's so much more than that. Where where is there an equal partner out there? Characters that you can think of? Any anybody? Uh, I mean, we we've already said Ebony and Ivory. You know. Oh yeah. The piano. We, we're making music. Oh yes. I That's provide beautiful. the tension on the black keys. Yeah, but okay, that's still not great because <laughs> then the Ebony. There's still less. There's way more Ivory. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. We can't draw too many like tight conclusions here. Tight analysis. Right. Well, yeah. So we're we're partners in crime for sure, man. Um, that's for sure. And it's good good to be in this with you. And you as well, brother. Yeah. So today we are talking to well, you interviewed Miles Alexander. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there with you. Had a meeting I had to go to, and uh, but I got to, obviously I got to listen to the interview, and it sounded great. I yeah, it was it was so fun. Miles and I have been friends for a while since I mean since um, just after I moved to Asheville, we started uh, going to church together and um, became fast friends. And he's he's just as real as they get, and he's he's incredibly talented. That's the thing. That's one of the things that's always kind of struck me about him is he's. He's, he's humble and funny, but when you get to know him, you start to see that there's, you know, he works on cars. He does, he does CrossFit. He is a, by trade an architect. He barbecues. He can, he's a builder. He can barbecue with the best of them. I mean, he's, he's top three barbecue I've ever had. <laughs> and, and I'm a fat guy that really loves pork products. So that's saying a lot, but it, I've never really talked to him about his profession. Like this is a guy who, um, besides his perfect hair, um, has two architecture firms that do really well. Like he's got one here and um, I think that doubles in Rock Hill, South Carolina and one in Asheville. But then he's got one that just does Charleston architecture in Charleston for, you know, for the top dollar folks out there. Yeah. So he's just got so many irons in the fire. And yet I look at him and I'm like, bro, how do you have three kids manage all that? There's just so many things that he just does well. And I've always wanted to sit down and pick his brain. And so we finally got to do that. And I will say this, he really surprised me. I thought I heard everything I thought I was going to hear, but some of the motivations behind the work that he's done really surprised me in such a good way. And so it was, it was even more fun to hear the stories coming from him and just the lessons that he was taught by his dad, by, by other older architect mentors and, and men of faith. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just so thankful that we were able to sit down and thankful that you guys are going to be able to hear and learn from him. And I think the thing that you, we were talking about before PW that we're taking away with from this is kind of the theme, if you will, that of the interview is his, his uh, emphasis on on investing in yourself and that you are your best investment. He talks a lot. I know he talked a lot about that. Yeah, and that's 
whether and he's a guy who who went all in on his business and that being his investment but and whether you're in that place where you're going to do that or uh you're you want to invest in your education your financial education whether you want to invest you know setting aside time to learn a market um whatever that looks like i mean this is it was such a good lesson uh, you know to hear from somebody in such a practical way so we think that you're going to love this. I know I certainly did. You did, Mike. Um, mm-hmm. so this is our interview with architect and all around genius, Miles Alexander. A lot of the folks that are listening are still in the kind of set it and forget it. I really yeah. believe my, yeah. you know, the my 401k is it, or I just don't know any better. and And so... It takes a significant life event to change your perspective on something. And I, I mean, I think that's just the kind of general rule uh, in life, but um, your finances are no different. And like, for me, it took a shift at my work for me to realize like this plan that I had like thought about and laid out and had in my mind for the last 20 years might not be the right one. So, um, so what was the what was the event? I mean, was it COVID or was it something else? No, no, no. This was this was this was long before. This was when I started my own company. And okay. so, really, um, I moved to Asheville in 2005, and uh, right out of graduate school. And I had basically decided that uh, I took a, t- taken a job with a large firm, architecture firm, and um, I, I was all in at that firm. Like I was like, this is yeah, this is where I want to be. I see myself being partner working here for a while, doing the whole uh, uh, principal thing, then selling off and retiring. And about five years into it, um, I, I just had this just this shift in the perspective of like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be part of this anymore. I, I kind of saw it, 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 kind of how firms get bought and sold is it starts off as a small firm, two people, one people, and then they take on another partner and then those partners then sell to another group and sell to another group. And there's these generational things. And the only way that the previous generation makes money is they have to sell it because no one really wants to pay, you know, they want to pay a partner a ton of money for something. So you have to kind of sell it to more partners. So a a two person firm in 20 years can become a, 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 you know, two two owner firm can become a five owner firm, and then that five owner firm can become a fifteen owner firm, kind of generationally, because everybody wants to, has to sell to more people, because, you know, every partner wants to make money. If I buy it at a hundred thousand, I want to sell it at two hundred thousand. Yeah. Not everybody can afford or want to pay two hundred thousand, so you get a couple of people together and they buy those shares, and then, uh, it it becomes a little bit of this self feeding machine that at a certain point reaches a critical mass that is unsustainable. And the only way that that happens or the only way, the only exit strategy for the current partners is for that firm to get bought out by a larger firm. And I kind of saw that happening and I just decided I didn't, I didn't want to be a part of that. And I I just felt uh, moved and called to start my own firm. And it was 2010, which is the absolute worst time you could have started uh, a firm (laughs) in any, uh, in any construction profession, but uh, it's a great time to start a business because it's really not going to get any worse, is what I told myself. Yeah. Uh, we we did not know about the COVID yet, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So um, I had a moment where I just said I, I I just had a shift, and that shift in me changing my employment trajectory caused me to basically reevaluate all my finances and. Um, like earning potential, uh, future, future earning potential, current earning potential, what, uh, what, what I have going for me today, what is likely to happen next week, next year, next decade. Um, and then also what I wanted my family to look like. So it was much more of a shift of our, we had three kids at the time. Uh, we had three young kids. The third one had just been born. Uh, so we had a four, two and newborn. And, uh, yeah, I just decided that, for me, we didn't want to have two working spouses. We were looking for a little bit more of a hybrid kind of um, uh, homeschool kind of uh, situation because I had offices. Uh, I ended up having offices in different cities so that I could kind of take them with me so I wouldn't have to be gone while traveling. And hmm. so it was really that kind of moment and that shift in my 
business perspective that really impacted or at least caused me to question my personal kind of stances on money because I was, I was the 401k route. I was, uh, yeah. you know, Roth IRA and, um, all, all the standard, like when you started a big firm, well, we have a financial person, go talk to the financial person and they set you up with your life insurance, your 401k and, and, and whatever you want to do for college for the kids. And, um, yeah, so I, that's, that's where I started and basically got out of all of those. <laughs> so, so when you are, um, I mean, you obviously put your eggs in that basket where you were working for yourself, you yeah. shape it around what you wanted your family to look like and, you know, to, to kind of respect your values, you know, you're, you're creating this, this, um, this picture of what your family is going to be and you kind of reverse engineer is that for folks that are um, kind of looking at this picture, um, how does that translate into, you know, somebody who's not going to be able to work for themselves? Like yeah. how did that, how did your investment style change? Yeah. So, so I would say specific to me and again, I, I fully recognize this is a little bit different of a thing. Uh, after having looked at the stock market and my perspective on investing, I decided rather than to put my money in something that I don't control, that I hope will be X amount of return, I just decided to really invest it in myself. And yeah. so um, I put that all in, in my business. I would say for, for someone who probably doesn't have, who is looking to um, take ownership of really what because to me that's what it was like when you set it and forget it you're letting someone else take care of something that's pretty important to you yeah. uh, or at least valuable and so i would say for someone who doesn't have their own business uh, or is look not looking to start their own business uh it's a it's the same level of freeing experience now that being said it's terrifying yeah. it's just as terrifying as starting your own business because it takes a lot of faith and it takes a lot of belief and uh, you, you have to believe in yourself, have enough discipline to control yourself, but then you also have to have faith. Like, is this really what I want to do? Is this what I'm being called to do? And those are all great questions that you need to reconcile before you make a move. And I think that was one of the, the, the kind of like kernels for me for, I wasn't happy with my life mm. and professionally, um, I, and I knew I had to make a change and I found an opportunity to make my professional life hopefully better, but at the same time, make my personal life better. And to do all of that, I had to reevaluate my financial life. So what were the driving principles like that? I mean, I don't know. Did you and Ashley have a sit down and, and say like, Hey, what do we want? Yeah. What do we want our life to look like? Like, what were the yeah, key yeah, yeah. pieces? Yeah. So that, that, that's, once I came home and said, Hey, babe, uh, I think I'm going to quit my job. And she's like, Oh, that's cool. You, you starting somewhere else. And I was like, yeah, in a way. Yeah. Um, once we got, once, once we got past that hurdle, uh, no, we, uh, with the birth of our third child, we got to the point where you realize, okay, it, it becomes woefully expensive to pay for daycare and education and scheduling and is really what we want is, is that for ourselves. And, Ashley and I did have a conversation of like, okay, what would be our, if we, if we could write a picture of what our life would be idealistically, what would we do and what would yeah. it look like? And, you know, I would be rich. We, we would, we would have gigantic trust funds that just paid us uh, monthly. Yeah. And then you, you know, you, you whittle your way down to like, what's realistic and realistic is like, I'd like to start my own firm. I think I can make enough money to do it. I need you to be on the ride with me what's important to you in that? And for yeah. her, it was like, we wanted to homeschool the kids for, through elementary school just to have that time with them and that experience. Um, so, you know, that backs, I wanna say that backs you in, but that puts you in a position where you have to make other decisions yeah. um, uh, money-wise, because if she's at home all day, um, then I need, to, I need to make different business decisions versus if we both had an income. Yeah. So. So what's the tension, um, you know, because Mike and I talk about this all the time. There's a tension between um, being a business person, but also being a business person. And I use that term for me lightly, um, but someone who's driven by, by my faith, yep. you know, by my relationship with Jesus. So um, 
when you guys are, are making these decisions, like how much does that play into um, the lifestyle that you are, like the picture you're trying to create with Ashley? Oh, it's all, it's all faith-based. I mean, we, yeah. uh, sorry, I had a fire truck going by. Uh, <laughs> owning your own business is one of the probably, it's probably one of the greatest expressions of faith that I've ever had because okay. like, I've got a good 90 day outlook on my business. The best I've ever had is six months. And that, that's a crazy, and you live with that. You live in that every day and you have to be okay with that. You have to say, okay, my business is good. Like if nothing else comes in for six months and, and this happened at the beginning of COVID, all this stuff happened, everybody was going home and I sat all the employees down and I said, guys, we got enough money in the bank to last 90 days. If not a dollar comes in. Yeah. If everybody pays me everything that's owed uh, and we can get the projects out, we've got six months without question, without a push. If things, you know, if it gets past us living in this COVID thing for six months in the way that we're living, you know, we could go to nine months, but we're going to have to make decisions. Uh, and that's really, and, and, and that's what business ownership is for me is you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable with the uncertainty. And mm. so I just, I, I you know, I, I have faith that clients will call me. I have faith that we will do jobs well enough that they will refer us. I have faith that, you know, if, if I am doing my best and following what it is I feel I'm being called to do, um, then it'll work out. And sometimes, and I have no illusions that it's going to work out that I'm going to be a millionaire. I don't want that. Actually, not like my goal in business is not to generate a maximum amount of revenue. My goal in business is to do great projects, uh, provide a living for some good and great employees and friends, and uh, to provide enough where I am um, comfortable and not stressed. And mm -hmm. Um, that, that was our big picture and our goal. And so starting the profession that I am, I'm a service-based industry. I don't sell a product. I can't maximize revenue on a product. I, I get a project and I don't even know if I'm going to be profitable on the project until the project's done. So I have to be a little bit faithful about that. And it's out of my control. It's in my client's hands. And so I have to, to a certain amount, uh, it's just one of those things where, yeah, it's, 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 it's a huge step uh, that you have to have a lot of trust for. Yeah. So this is always interesting to me because like you're like, whether you know this or not, you're like one of my favorite people that I've met in <laughs> well, because yeah. you, you know, I can't say that I know you like terribly well, but we've been around each other for a long time. Yeah. And, but you seem to have the most valuable thing in my life next to my, my wife and kids is my free time. Uh -huh. And you have more free time in my mind, than anybody. I've ever met. <laughs> I love that's the illusion I've created. Well, I know that's, and again, yeah. I know you would say that's the illusion, but it, it's, <laughs> you know, but the reality is, is you've set your, however it appears to be, like you've set your business up in such a way, and you've said this to me before, is that you, you want to build a, a business environment, a work environment where it's irresistible for your people. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. so that they, they want to come, they want to do great work that they, um, they don't want to leave. And that, and so I'm, I'm assuming that in part of that is because that way, you know, that the experience to the end user, to the client, uh, and the product to the client, the service to the client is at its highest level. Yeah, exactly. And so I don't know, may talk a little bit about how your employees are kind of playing into this because, because owning your own business is not just about you and Ashley and you just alluded to that. Like you've got to think about those other people. Oh, for sure. Like it, it, all I have, uh, I, I, I now have three offices in Asheville, Rock Hill and Charleston. I think I have nine or 10 employees now. Wow. And so when you, you employ people, like I don't even, I, I just, I work with people. I don't, I don't, I'm not a boss. I have a, right. I have a coffee mug that was given to me that says like a boss. And when they gave it to me, they were like, that's because you're like one, you're not actually. One. <laughs> and so only one in title. But yeah, you know, these are coworkers. I spend almost as much time with them as I spend with my family. And uh, so it's very important for me to uh, give them an opportunity where they don't like hate going to work. And yeah. again, there are financial benefits to that, but it's just, 
it's a better place for me to go into. It's it's just it's yeah. a it's a happier it's a happier environment. I'm feeling better about going into it because again, I can control certain things in my business. I can control who I hire. I can control the office culture, the office um, um, uh, kind of nature. I, I can't control clients. Like I I can't control what projects come in and which ones don't and yeah. Uh, and so the things I want to control, I want to make as, as enjoyable as I can. And so that yeah. was a little bit of a conscious decision. And as a small business owner, uh, rather than someone who's like, I fit that label more than the entrepreneur label. Um, like I live and die by my, my project emotionally, like my business, like if it's doing well, I'm doing well. If, if things are bad, I start to feel down. Yeah. And so I can always kind of balance out with having at least I have a great work environment, even if a project's going sideways or something. So, so if we added up, because the, the reason it was always unusual, because I know a lot of people that have free time, but they're unemployed. Right. <laughs> so when I look at somebody who's got at the time, the time that I met you, you had an office in Charleston and an office, I think it was Charleston and one here. Yep. Yeah. 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 So you added Rock Hill, was it recently or in the last few years? No, that was, so Rock Hill had always been around. Uh, okay. it, it just was a different type of market. The Charleston move was a very specific and focused way to, to diversify geographically and market-wise. So it's almost all residential and rich Charleston people always got money, no matter what the economy is. And yeah. so no matter, they, I mean, those, those people will always build $3 million houses. And so that was a very specific kind of tactical move. But uh, yeah, so I had uh, Asheville first, then Rock Hill, then Charleston. But Rock Hill's always been kind of the quiet one. I didn't know that. Okay. So when, even with all that mass and all those moving parts, you, you figured out a way to, and I don't want to like sterilize it, but you figured out a way to kind of distill that down to give you some free time. Yeah. Yeah. And how much of that free time do you devote to, investing or the thought of investing or is it still all in the business or is there other things uh a little bit of both because i decided i would say in the beginning kind of my plan was to start the whole goal of this was me to 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 get stress out of my life and most of the stress <laughs> in a profession of architects comes from clients or general contractors Okay. Uh, and so my, my, my goal was to find a way to become my own client and become my own general contractor. And you can do it. And there, there are pathways. I'm not the first person to ever have this thought. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, very few architects do it, but, um, I decided I would attempt it. And so the goal is to get an architecture firm up and running, get it kind of self-sustaining first five years. Second five years, start a general construction company, get it up self-sustaining. Uh, years five through ten, then years ten through fifteen, start a development company that would use the architecture firm and the construction company to do our own project. And that's kind of the big, perfect picture. Uh, and that way, that would allow me to eliminate clients and general contractors from my con from basically me having to work directly for them now. I fully recognize that's never going to happen until I become a giant developer. And I don't know if I want to do that because uh, I do like a client, a lever client. Um, but that was kind of the goal. And so I've, I've, we, we've got a construction company up and going and we're starting to get the, the development thing going as well. And um, so I, I would say from a, from a, how much time I spend thinking about it as an investment, it's not a conscious decision to call it an investment. I just think about, okay, what's the next step in the plan and how do I keep working that plan? Um, because it's for me, from an investment standpoint, I'm still investing in myself sure. and or investing in other people I'm doing business with and um, versus looking at markets or looking at trends. I'm just not wired that way. And so it's not something that, that, that I seek out. Okay. So when you, when an earlier conversation, you had alluded to um, maybe looking at this idea of cash flow, yeah. was that related yep. to business or was it related to like personal investments? So that was related to business. So I, business, okay. I, I, I see like my, my greatest skill in life for me that could generate the highest amount of revenue is that I am a licensed architect and I know construction. Yeah. And so I looked at, okay, if I could find a way to leverage the, 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 the capital I have 
and use my experience to generate um, profit from those, that's when I looked at, okay, I can establish businesses that generate monthly income for me that can be variable for sure, yeah. uh, both good and bad. There's no ceiling. That's the benefit of it. There's also no floor. Um, and so I took a, a little bit more strict of a, a stance where I don't look at it as, okay, I need to put $500 a month into X or $1,000 into a month yeah. Y to generate X amount of revenue. I look at it as how do I establish a business and grow a business so that 20 years from now, I've, you know, I've, I've fed and sheltered a family uh, and grown value in that business. So hopefully one day I could either sell it to someone or um, um, really increase what the limit is. Because architects really don't make money until they're older, um, but general contractors make money kind of throughout time. And so I kind of did the reverse. I should have started a construction company first and then an <laughs> architecture firm. But live and learn. But so that for me, when, it, when I look at investing uh, and I think about what happens 20 years from now yeah. when I'm 61, uh, I think I don't think about it in uh, the sense of okay, that's the point where I ring a bell, cash stuff in, and walk away. Right. Um, I look at it as okay, I've established three businesses that are generating a lot of revenue, more than I need, um, that free me up to do whatever it is I want to do, and whether yeah. that is travel not not working. If I can find a way to make them self-sustaining monsters, that's great. Um, but as far as like, it, I'm just not wired to look at any type of kind of like a buy low, sell high kind of thing. I'm much more of a work at, create something and grow it long-term uh, so that when I'm 62 and retire, I can either sell it to someone, pass it on, or it has a great legacy that, you know, closes up. I think it's a timeless philosophy that has gotten lost. Um, and I, I mean, I think the people that have always done it and adopted it, I mean, I'm assuming that you, it's a, maybe it's a poor assumption, but um, you had, you had spoken and you said that you told me stories about how much your dad has kind of weighed in on how you do life. Yeah. yeah so so uh, my stepfather worked for the same company. He started when he was 17 and a half. He, I think he lied about his age to go work at Vulcan Materials, which is a, uh, uh, a company that it's a rock quarry. They sell crushed stone. So uh, all the stone that goes underneath roads, driveways, any anything, any gravel you need to buy, they sell. And he worked. He he retired five years ago, having worked for the same company at the age of 62. So three years ago, he retired. Three. He just turned 65. He worked for that entire company his entire or that whole company his entire life. And he started off as shoveling stone and worked his way up to the senior sales rep for the state. And um, he, and I won't say he had it figured out, but uh, he, along the way, set up mechanisms where he could service his clients properly while still doing and living life the way he wanted. Because he is a very, uh, I won't say he's psychologically unemployable, but he's a very kind of like, he likes to do it the way he likes to do it. He doesn't care sure. what his boss says or he doesn't care what. And uh, he had been there long enough that no one ever questioned. <laughs> you know, he, he was, anyway, it's some great old stories. But so I saw that and I saw that he spent a lifetime building this great thing. And, uh, and I think you're right. It's a little bit of a philosophy that has changed and that people are chasing more short-term goals. Like, again, this is, the goal I'm looking at, I've been doing for 10 years and I've easily got another 20 years of doing it. And yeah. um, that doesn't, I mean, at one point, yeah, it scares me to think that, you know, I'll be doing the same thing for another 20 years, but I enjoy doing it. So I don't yeah, see that's... really where the issue is. Um, but yeah, there's no get rich in what I have picked. There, there's no like, oh, okay. And grow a business five years later, sell it. Versus one of my friends who just did that same very thing. He, Spent five years growing a business very specifically to sell it for the maximum amount of revenue. So. Hmm. I think yeah. that is, I mean, that's a scenario we would all love. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't always work out. And I mean, like the, the endeavor of building something that, you know, that somebody would want and pay a premium for. And the idea that I feel like is getting lost, and this is why I think your story is just so fun people who 
who love what they do and, and, and the payoff for them, like the payback for them is the idea that they can produce value, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that those terms get thrown around. It's like every business book I pick up, it's like produce value, you know, to the end user and blah, blah, blah. But it sounds really sterile, but until you see somebody who's actually doing it and having fun with it, even you, you said it, the goal is not to become a millionaire and to, you know, to lay around in, in, you know, beds of green cash, but to, <laughs> although, although that I would, would try be, it for a little while. Yeah. That, I would try it for a little while. That's a pretty amazing Instagram story, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, to, to continue to, to produce value to people. So the end, I mean, so the end user can have a great place to live. So yeah. the people that work with you work for you, um, can have a great place that they can, you know, jump in and produce value. And so all that said, you know, you're, you're 20 years down the road. What does that legacy look like for your family? Like, have you thought? Yeah, I have. And so uh, part of the thing I love about my just profession is I can take my children and family to a place and we can go have dinner there. We can, I can drive by it in a car and point to like, this is dad's work. Yeah. Like this is, and so that historically is one of the things that drew me to architecture and construction. Um, but I, I think it, and, and even in my circle, and I, again, I know I'm a really, I'm a, I'm a special, I'm a luxury service for a very, very small, probably pretty well off section of uh, the world. Very, very small number of people will ever hire architect a very very small number of people ever need an architect in can, when you consider the the needs of the world um but one of the things that has always drawn me and why i do public architecture is the legacy at least behind of like oh like my dad created a business that created things in the community that made the community better or uh fostered something like you know we we do work for like one of the one of my favorite projects is a bathroom house we did at Dupont Forest at the Hooker Falls parking lot, and it is just a small bathroom building, but people were pooping in the woods before, and it was nasty. Like that parking lot sees thirty thousand people a month because of the Hunger Games. Like they see more traffic than some wow. DOT rest areas, and there was no bathroom. They were just using porta johns, and so people were like crapping all in the woods, and there was toilet paper everywhere and trash everywhere. And we just built this bathroom building and it's a better place because of it. It's cleaner. And so like, I love the idea that like in 20 years, whenever that gets renovated or whatever, they're going to say, yeah. you know what, man, it really was a trash uh, place before this. You remember? And everybody looking around, yeah. So that's one of the things like from a, from a, a emotional legacy, I, I look, uh, I look at and like think it's great that, that I, I look forward to uh, from a, more kind of practical financial legacy standpoint. Like I would love to have a business that my kids decide to, to be part of and continue. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about them being architects. It's a, it's a hard way to make a living just because it's project based. And I mean, you, you kind of know that a little bit living that gig lifestyle where you're just yeah. like from one to the other and you're, you're always check, chasing the next one and chasing the next one. But when it works out great, it works out great. Um, but creating creating something that um, that at least gives my children the opportunity or the uh, option to say, okay, yeah, maybe I would be part of that because. And the next step for me is a barbecue joint. I've already decided that was if, yes. if the COVID thing hits again and we've all got to shut down, I'm going down on Riverside Drive, me and my smoker, and we're slinging barbecue sandwiches and bag of chips for eight bucks, um, cash. Cash only. Cash only. Cash only. Cash only, baby. And uh, if you do that, I will be wearing a sweaty black T-shirt next to the smoker. <laughs> and employ this guy. That that's amazing. Now you don't you don't take orders, right, for your barbecue? Uh, I, if I have some friends that need, like, if they've got an event or they're looking, uh, okay. if they've got something going on in their life, yes, I will do barbecue okay. for them. You you are top three barbecue for me ever. Okay. Well, good. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, it is one of the life skills I fostered to always ensure I could feed my family or feed myself <laughs> uh, and maybe make a little bit of money at the same time. Now, nobody can see this, but as I'm looking past miles, there's a ceramic egg on his patio. 
that's that's the hardest working item in this house right here. But you you've also there. got a, a smoker that you have to trailer with a large yeah. truck. Yeah, yeah, I have a Shirley fabrication smoker. It weighs about probably two thousand pounds, eighteen hundred pounds. Is that the one you went to Kansas to get? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep they 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 don't pop there. If you ordered one today, uh, their current delivery date is December twenty twenty two. Holy smokes! Yeah, that's how far that's how far out they are to get a new one. So when the used ones come up on the market, they sell for uh, sometimes more than what they cost new because they're available. And those guys, those guys have got to figure it out. Tyler and uh, uh, Bill uh, Shirley in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. This one, yeah, was for sale in uh, um, uh, Kansas. And so I uh, had to go get it from up there. Yeah. Wow. Dude, that is crazy. It's, it'd be funny to think that you could go from, you know, lucrative building and design build and architecture business right into lucrative barbecue barbecue well but... let me let me tell you about one of my non-lucrative uh things. Okay, I, yeah, did, please were do. you ever did i know you during the actual trout time frame i can't remember no when i was that? chopping up fish yeah so i got i got roped in early on in my uh, uh self-employment um journey it was pretty slow in 2010 to 2012 so i was doing some architecture but I had a lot of free time so one of the guys owned a restaurant in my neighbor here in the cul-de-sac or used to be not anymore and uh i decided to start a trout processing business because most of the trout in the united states comes from western north carolina or uh idaho i don't know why that's just how it is and so there's the sunburst trout is kind of the most popular trout processing in the area and to give you an idea they probably do a couple thousand pounds of trout a day there is a place called Carolina Mountain Trout, and they probably do, they do tens of thousands of pounds of trout a day. They do a ridiculous amount of trout, and there's no in between. So my my buddy and I, he already had a fish business, and he was doing saltwater fish. We just decided, well, we'll add, we'll add uh, we will add trout to it, and we started chopping up trout. And I would wake up at four in the morning, drive to Hendersonville to his uh, uh, processing center, and just start chopping up fish like hundreds at a time. And uh, we got hit by the great trout blight of 2011 and 12 because there was this back to back to back of hot summer, cold winter, hot summer. And so when water gets above 68 or below 38, the trout don't grow or breed or anything. So they just stagnated. No one could get trout. Local trout companies were flying trout in from Idaho, repackaging and sending them out the door. And, uh, uh, exceptionally, we we closed because of it. But uh, yeah, Asheville trout. I smelled like old fish for nine months. Everything I owned smelled like old fish. It was so bad. But and yeah, you were an architect at this point. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. The whole so this time was, still doing architecture. This was just a fun side hustle you uh-huh. tried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was doing architecture Monday, Wednesday, Friday, chopping up fish Tuesday, Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it was hilarious. But you know, I I was disenfranchised with. I was a sole practitioner at the time. It was just me. Yeah. Uh, which is which is a difficult thing to handle emotionally. It's a difficult thing to do, just period, because it's just you and everything is yeah. you. And I was tired of selling a service. I wanted to sell a product. And I thought this is like ah fish, a product. <laughs> Let's do it. And so we did it. And it was great. Like I mean, I've got so many good stories out of it. Uh, my buddy Michael Goforth came in and he, he wanted to join into the business and he walked in the door the first time and started gagging. He's like, I can't do it. And turned around and walked out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, it was so good. It was so good. So yeah, so not all my decisions have been great, but uh, they have been. <laughs> Dude, that's brilliant. My, actually, yeah. my next question was, what is your process of learning? And yeah. apparently jumping in is. Uh, oh no, I'm a, I'm very much a, hey, let's figure this out as we go okay. to that person. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I figure out what I'd like to do and then figure out how to do it. And I've, I, I have, that served me pretty well on things as, as mechanical items, working on cars or whatever, to uh, figuring out how to fund a business or, or um, finance something or look at, you know, I, I'd like, like we were looking at how do we start an office in Charleston? Yeah. And, you know, we just, we opened it. We figured out, all right, we can lease this place. 
we'll open it. All right, now how do we get business in Charleston, which is probably the opposite. But we found out you needed to have a place uh, locally to get clients because there are any number of architects trying to get work in Charleston, the Charleston market from Charlotte, uh, from Columbia, from anywhere not in that area physically, but clients in that area, when you're designing their home, they want to come into town and physically meet with someone who's in the area. Hmm. So um, I'm very much a, um, yeah, jump, jump first, figure it out as you, as you go um, kind of person versus kind of study it to death because I, I can get analysis paralysis where there's just, you spend so much time trying to figure out what the exact move is when really and truly it's more, it's more important just to make continual progress than it is about having perfect progress. So, so you're constantly, I mean, you're having to remain flexible when you jump first, right? Cause you're, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's why I think it's important to have big picture goals. Like you've got to say yeah. what, what really are the, the driving factors for your life? If that's yeah. money, that's great. If it's uh, family freedom, that's great. If it's uh, debt-free, if it's whatever your kind of big overarching guiding principles for you as a business, for you personally, as long as you know what those are, you can jump feet first and you can move left or right or center um, depending on where you land that moves you closer to those goals. So when you have to make those types of decisions, who are you looking for um, as a model? Or who do you look to for advice when you are in uncharted territory? <laughs> YouTube. I just go right to YouTube. You so watching YouTube videos. <laughs> uh, I typically find, I, you know, I like to get the advice of people who think I'm wrong or not, don't think I'm wrong, but at least um, are outside of my situation so that I can get their perspective. So like when, when I was starting an architecture firm, selling a service I called my uncle who's a he was at the time the VP for uh, research and development for Milliken which is this giant textile corporation I mean it's as corporate as it gets and he's as business-minded as it gets and I explained him the process because I wanted to hear his input the, the process of how I budget a job bid a job get clients and things and he at the end of the day he looked at me and said man that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard because in his mind, he could not reconcile developing a product, selling that product, and not knowing what your level of profitability was going to be at mm. that transaction. He could not process, okay, I do my best job at guessing how long it's going to take me to do it. Hope my client doesn't drag their feet too long and it takes me too much time that I've eaten up all the profitability by the time the project reaches its conclusion. Because it reminded me to, like, yeah, there's something kind of fundamentally wrong about that but it reminded me to protect myself against that most yeah. of the time. And so when I find myself in positions where I'm really not hundred percent comfortable, if it's a, if it's an issue where I think I don't know where to go personally, I, I, I will usually get in touch with one of my closer uh, friends that I can be really kind of emotionally open with and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this decision or I don't think I made the right thing because it doesn't bring me closer to some of my personal goals or it's, whatever if it's a business decision i'll usually lean on people who are um, a little further down the road to me okay so older architects if it's an architecture um uh, question but the ones that i really struggle with are the ones where I, I need to call i need to call a friend and have a crucial conversation about you know this decision i've made or i feel like my business is going this way or my, my finances are going this way. Does that, and it's drifting further away from what I want uh, or what I have said I've wanted and being able to have just that kind of, I don't want to call it a gut check, but at least be able to verbalize that. So that it becomes a discussion topic with someone versus something I struggle with just individually in an isolated little bubble. So when you get in those situations where, you know, remaining flexible, you know, you, you've had, you've gone down a road that, that, you know, you're, you're starting to question how many times have you had to go back to Ashley and say, do we really believe in like a certain value, you know, yeah. like when, when it's starting to stray away from the original intention? Yeah. Uh, I think it's, 
it's much less and i guess when you when you look at it in retrospect you can frame it you can you can take that picture and put it in that frame in the moment when i'm talking to ashley i'm like babe i don't want to move back in with mom <laughs> you know it's like it, because that's the reality of the situation the reality is like yeah. her and i don't have this like we, we have our finances set up in such a way that really our, our money does what we needed to do naturally we don't have to make very conscious decisions on what we do or don't pay uh and so where we where we get is especially early on when when things were much harder um you you get to the point where you just have to sit down and say okay do we still have this is going to sound awful do we still have faith this is the right thing and i think you know even as a christian i want to say questioning your faith but asking the question why i believe is probably just as important to do frequently um, as it is for your business or for your finances, where you can say, why do I believe this? And remind yourself. Hmm. And um, it, it, it does sound very much more romantic and more intellectual that for me to go to my wife and say, hey, is this really aligning with you know our five values of our family? Right. And in retrospect, that's what I'm doing. I'm just doing it in a manner of like, man, babe, this has been a, this has been a really hard last couple of months. Like, I don't know, like I'm yeah. struggling emotionally and struggling business wise. Is this, you know, are we good? Are we still okay to be on this path together? And that's really where it's been kind of, uh, for, for Ashley, for the two of us to get together, because there have been moments where I just looked at it. And it's like, I don't know. I just don't know. Like, I feel, I, I feel like this is the right thing. I, I I have, you know, we made this decision early on and we're on it together. And, but I'm just looking at her like today, maybe today I'm a maybe. So. Earlier you had alluded to, um, to, you know, to an entrepreneur, small business person having to exercise some discipline. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, discipline is one of those things like it can be learned. It's, I don't, for some people it comes natural, but it's a learned process. Yeah. Uh, I think that, some of that discipline is in putting good people around you um, because they can, if you, you can't be disciplined all the time. So when other people are kind of gut checking you, it's helpful. Who, who gave you the biggest gut check over the last decade? And what do they say to you? From a business standpoint, personally, or financially? Uh, either, either like who, who yeah, all of that. Okay. you, you like they're saying to you, miles, you gave me the opportunity to look over your shoulder, to be in your life and to be a voice. Yeah. I'm seeing, you say these things like we're seeing God ask you to do these things and there's something a little bit off, like, Hey, I need you to think about this again. Yeah. <clears throat> it's tough because I'm not naturally the type of person that lets people in that close. And okay. so the, the, I probably have three, three guys and one woman and one of them being my mom, like the woman being my mom. Sure. And I don't know why that is. It's not like I'm, I, I just, there, there, my mother has always like, I remember her telling me as a child for some strange reason that I would have lots of nice house, homes in my life. Like she was like, Miles, you're going to live in a number of good homes. I just know it. Hmm. And at, for her to always have had that faith in me and to like tell me that at an early age and it stick with me, she's always been one of the ones that just says, Hey, how are you doing? Hmm. Are you okay? How's work? And then she will ask the follow-up question of, yeah, it sucks, but are you going to keep going? Is this, is this something you want to keep working on? And uh, so those are the moments really from like 2012 to 2014 when it was just, it was really, really bad emotionally for me. I definitely suffered through bouts of depression um, and work-related and, and, and everything else, just struggling with, am I doing the right thing? And so obviously my wife, Ashley, and I had a lot of conversations about, is this, you know, what we need through all of this, as bad as it struggled, I still think I provided a very great uh, time for my family during that. And that, that's great. Like we had some amazing home time. The homeschool was going great. They were traveling with, with me to the different offices. And so we had a very good family unit during that time. And so uh, I, I do look back at uh, another one of my uh, friends who was much more of kind of a business associate. And I, I, I would just sit down and they're in the same industry, but a little, a little older than me. And I would just, I remember sitting down at lunch one time. And I just look at him and be like, is it, 
always going to be like this? And they just stone cold looked me in the eye and said, yes. No, like sugarcoating, no. They just said, <laughs> yeah. I said, no way it's like this for the next 20 years. And they just, without even pause, just, yep. Like, oh, okay. And then you have to accept that. In a certain condition, you have to accept it and say, okay, I can either live with this or I need to change something that makes it better for me. Okay. And so I, I did a little bit of both. I, I, I changed kind of the fundamental mechanism that I was doing business by. I became a little more emotionally detached from okay. my business, kind of made a conscious decision, yeah. uh, but then also adjusted my expectations. Like I, I have to, you know, think that, okay, not every project is going to be great. Not every project is going to um, have a great client. Like there are going to be tough ones, but the tough ones can be just as good as the, the bad ones or the, t the easy ones if if you have the right mentality but yeah i remember just sitting down it was a it was a it was a continuing education lunch <laughs> and I, I just saw alan sitting over there and i had like he, he's probably one of the like one, for me one of the most respected architects in in the city and he his legacy is what i would love to have and uh i just remember sitting down at the table and i was like man i have a tough day <laughs> is it like this and he wasn't alone there were two other people who were of his same generation and I just, he looked at me without blinking and said, yep. And then the person does left said, yep. And the person to their left said, yep. And I just looked and I was like, okay, well, here we are. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It changed, it changed my perspective on it that day. When you first got into architecture, did you, um, did you meet guys that kind of modeled a lifestyle that you're like, yeah, that's, this is kind of how I want to frame things or end up like this? I thought I did, you know, I, my uh, the the you know the 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 more i have grown in my in my faith and more i've become uh, i try to be a, a a better business owner with those two interlinked those change like i i yeah. don't want to be the business owner who has lots of fancy stuff or has a hugely successful business but treats their employees like crap or has a really bad reputation and so um yeah, I, I definitely idolized a couple of people. I was like, oh, I would love to have that glossy office where everything is stark white and brand new and shiny and looks super modern. But at the end of the day, I was like, that's not me. That's that's yeah. that's not that's not the environment I wanted to be part of. So, uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's that part. There has definitely been an evolution in that. And, and shifting your goals because everybody grows up as a child. Oh, I'm gonna be rich and whatever, but the, the longer I do this, the more I realize I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be wealthy. I just want to have lots of margin in my life, whether that's yeah. in finances and time in my relationship. Like I want everything to be um, as taken care of as possible that I have flexibility to, to adjust. So, so yeah, I, I, that there are, and because of that, who I respect and look out and think about becoming in the future changes it, it's definitely different now than it was 10 years ago yeah because you, i see sole practitioners who do it right so. do you find yourself kind of leaning into people that um have that margin or at least the appearance of it and are i find people outside of the industry for sure like one of, yeah. one of my friends uh the gm here uh at a large brewing company and like i i get as close to him as i can on a daily yeah. basis just because his just his attitude toward life affects me and makes me better at doing it. Yeah. And so um, uh, you also find out pretty quickly once you start leaning on people who you think have that margin that sometimes don't have it. And yeah. um, despite what the outward, my best clients drive white F one fifties or white Chevy Tahoe's like they don't, they don't show up in. Yeah you know, five series Mercedes or seven series BMWs. Um, my best clients uh, are, are living pretty, you know, pretty just simple lives. Yeah. And those are ones I'm naturally drawn to. What is in the, you know, as part of your legacy, um, I mean, you, both you and Ashley, like are, at least in my estimation, my experience have been very generous people. Like, what does giving back look like for you as a business owner and then even just as a family? Okay. Uh, I, in the, in the, in the, I'm a service person. Like, I, I can't help it. I am just like, I, I'm a, 
when you talk about the five love languages, like my number one is the acts of service. And so like, uh, I, that's what I do to love people. So I'm whatever you need. If I've got a tool, you can borrow it. I, I get a phone call at least once. I have a number of old diesel automobiles. I get a phone call at least once every two weeks for somebody's like, Hey man, you got an extra car I can drive. I'm like, yeah, I got an old diesel you can drive. <laughs> happened, it happened yesterday. Um, and so those kind of things, like I, uh, it's just, I have these things. I, I enjoy them and I want other people to enjoy them. Uh, so yeah, so I'm a, I'm a huge act of service. And so if people, if people in my life need things that I can provide for them, um, I'll do it. Uh, and our family is, and I, I will say, unfortunately, maybe push that on my family <laughs> a little more. Actually, uh, she's not so much an act of service, uh, but she's learned to love me like that. Uh, the, but my family, like, we like to volunteer. We like to do that kind of yeah. stuff. And uh, we do that. Now, of course, we do have financial obligations that we do donate to a couple of different things that we feel are, are good. I, I even do that professionally. There's There, there are certain um certain nonprofit entities that do what I think is is great simple work that don't take a whole lot of money to help and we try to do that as much as we can. So man, I love that. That's a powerful legacy. And just, you know, knowing for a short time knowing your kids and how I think being around you guys so much when they were younger um yeah. has they're just great. You have a great family. They're okay. Listen, I got two teen teenagers in the yeah. house. So and I know, I know you're going to complain. I know you're going to complain. I know, <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. You still don't have gray hair. Like I'm still looking at you. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is true. Yeah. I, 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 listen, I, I don't know what to say, man. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, yes, you're exactly right. I, I've got like three gray hairs yeah. in my beard and I'm not, I got a some pencil every now and then. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. Peter, I don't know, man. Hashtag blessed and highly favored yeah. is all I can Hashtag say. blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dude, man. I, I've been watching your family kind of walk past the window in the background. I know that Oh yeah. away from them for a while. I just want to say thank you for your time. And, um, yeah, you're probably welcome. Good to catch up with listeners. And then if, if, I mean, if anybody um, has the need to reach out to you, how can they best get a hold of you? Uh, so you can find my architecture firm on Instagram, uh, FF architecture. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's it. Matt constructors, uh, our website.com. Um, that's really the easiest way you can get me on Facebook, social media, that's, uh, or Instagram. Those are really the only two uh, places, but, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, I am a huge fan of people taking, I want to say control of their life, but at least feeling like they take ownership of it. And I think for, for me, when we go back to the idea of discipline, a lot of discipline for me is ownership. And, you know, the whole Yako thing of, of extreme ownership and extreme discipline. It's like you own everything in your life. Every decision you make, you know, you, you can control. It, this obviously the things you can't control. But you take ownership of every decision you make and then the outcome of those decisions. And one of the things that, that helped me was just, taking ownership of my life, I became a, a more disciplined, better person. And I was able to make the decisions that I felt like I wanted to make and not the decisions, decisions I felt to make. So it felt like I had to make so, mm. as it relates, especially to finances, because I never believed in the stock market. I never believed in the 401k. I just knew that's what everybody did. And so that's what, that's what I did when I followed. So. Man. Well, I love I love that we got to hang out for a little bit. Yeah, no, man. It's good and seeing you. Yeah, I just, I miss, I miss you guys. I love your insight and I really appreciate your transparency and letting people into your world. And um, yeah, and trust me, folks, like for, for y'all that are listening, like um, Miles, Miles is, is one of the most genuine people and I, I'm a huge fan. And um, so if you do get the chance to come to Asheville, um, I will give you his number so you can order yeah. some barbecue, barbecue because yeah. <laughs> it, it really is insane. And we, we really, we literally could go to his house and sit around and work on cars and eat barbecue. And, uh, it, it happens pretty frequently yeah, sometimes. Chop it up like real folk. And that's, that's kind of the, that's what I want with my margin of my life is to be around good people yeah. and, and to be yeah. around people that produce great things for other people, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. um, so I love you. I th I'm really, I just thank you 
for your time. And no, uh, it's awesome. It's been great fun. Love you guys. Man. Friends, thank you for listening in. You have been listening to Blue Collar Money with P.W. Gopal and Mike Hatch. If you would like to reach out to P.W. directly, you can reach him through his website at pwgopal.com or you can reach out to Mike Hatch at empoweredmanhood.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming contents. Thank you again for listening and we look forward to connecting with you soon.